and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and we are back with our regularly scheduled programming Wednesday podcast. Great day to be great, as always, everybody. Very special guest today. You hear him here every single week, none other than PFF's own Andrew Erickson. Andrew, happy Wednesday, man. How about that? Or Tuesday. I don't even know what day it is. There we go. It doesn't matter what day it is. We know that we're finally getting some of these OTA reports. News is trickling in. Hype is building. Kyle Pitts' ADP is on the moon. What more could you ask for? Had one of those tweets yesterday where it made its way out of fancy Twitter and got to real life Twitter. And my goodness, things get ugly quickly. You know, we're not going to talk too much Julio Jones here. Believe you me, the second he is maybe traded, we will. But for right now, still just nothing but rumors. And, you know, I just want to note that Calvin Ridley is a wide receiver one with Julio Jones and also without Julio Jones. And many were mad at me for saying that, implying that Ridley is better than Julio Jones. No, it's okay in the year 2020 to have two wide receiver ones on the same team, everybody. Not illegal, but again, not exactly the subject of discussion today. We are continuing our two-part series with looking at basically how can every offense in the league go wrong. You've seen the graphics from PFF, CBS, pretty much everyone. It's the quarterback, running back, wide receivers, and tight end. And they say, who's stopping this offense? We're going to go through every offense and identify exactly who could stop them. You know, as much as as much as we want to be positive about everyone, as easy as it is to make a highlight clip for almost every single player in the league, things do go south and we're going to try to pinpoint exactly how. So if you haven't listened to last week's edition, we went through every NFC team. Today, we will be going through AFC. So Andrew, we're going to start things off with your favorite squad in the AFC East, the New England Patriots. How could things go wrong in 2021 in Foxborough? Pains me to say this, but it's all about who's under center. And if it's Cam Newton, less likely to be in on this offense just due to the fact that he doesn't bring a lot of fantasy juice to the other guys. I've done more research in terms of best ball stacking, and I'm looking at the mobile quarterbacks beyond just the running back position. And what you find is they just kind of suck the juice out of all of the other players in terms of fantasy value, because when they're scoring the rushing touchdowns, that's six points for them. That's not eight points for the whole team, for the quarterback and receiver combined. So if Cam Newton's the starter, we're not going to have reliable fantasy assets ever. It's, it's going to be guys that we're going to try to pinpoint. We're going to have to hope for some type of injury where a guy's target share may or may not increase. Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry are both good tight ends, but it's anybody's guess right now who is going to be the more reliable option in that offense, especially if they're only throwing 20, 25 times a game. But with Mac Jones, okay, like we can see this offense start to develop a little bit more. Again, last year, they were 31st in total fantasy points scored from running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers combined. So it can only go up. And if Mac Jones is the quarterback, super accurate, we're going to see more fantasy-friendly assets from this Patriots offense. It's going to at least make them like more plausible. And we could see Cam be there. And just because they now have two tight ends and, you know, Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, I'm not sure any one of those guys is necessarily going to demand this, you know, 25% target share. Maybe it's a better offense in real life. I would bet it would be a better offense in real life. But yeah, other than Cam, I mean, you can throw running backs in there too. I don't really know who we can get behind. And there are other offenses like that. I would say, again, if Cam's under center for the Patriots, they qualify the Ravens we've seen that uh, kind of happen where okay maybe a running back gets enough touchdowns otherwise tough for everybody other than kind of Mark Andrews I think the Eagles with Jalen Hurts will qualify I think the Saints with Taysom Hill will qualify maybe the 49ers with Trey Lance Cardinals and Bills you know obviously we see the, the wide receiver ones do just fine but again kind of comes back and hurts the running back so really is something to keep an eye on I wouldn't say you know if Mac Jones is under center that we're going to be you know just skyrocketing any of these dudes up the ranks but it would certainly help and also Andrew I'm starting to get more on Damian Harris, man. I'm wondering if we're missing the boat here just a little bit. And by missing the boat, I mean it's May 25th. Still plenty of time to uh, get our thoughts right on this. But talking more to my guy, Josh Norris, over Underdog Fantasy. And, you know, my issue was, like, projecting Damian Harris for the Sony Michelle role when Sony freaking Michelle himself is still on the team. Sounding like he could be a cut candidate. So, Andrew, man, we might have to start getting Damian into that low-end RB2 territory. Because if Cam and Sony are out of the picture, you know, we'll take those 20 touches the game from Damian, no problem. 
it's betting on Damien's talent because he was fantastic last year down the stretch. He was one of the highest graded running backs we had, again, with Gus Edwards and, and J.K. Dobbins in terms of that high yards per carry because you get that benefit from the running quarterback. You, your yards per carry goes up usually in those cases. But again, it's, it's anyone's guess what Belichick's going to do with the running back room. Again, James White is still involved in the passing game, so we're not necessarily going to see Damien Harris you know, ascend to RB1 status. But if the Patriots offense is cooking, he looks like the lead back, so I can definitely get behind it. New York Jets, new coaching staff, new quarterback. Kind of sort of the same old problematic O-line, though. Andrew, do you see the big uglies up front being the potential kryptonite here? Zach Wilson, look, he's making the big step up from BYU to the NFL. And the thing at BYU was the guy was never under pressure. You know, saw pressure at the fourth lowest rate in 2020. Jets ranked 31st and PFF pass blocking grade last season so and and sam darnold joe flacco were one and two respectively in terms of pressure rate faced last year that's so that's the big question is zach wilson going to be able to adapt to being under pressure more because even if the offensive line is improved you got backed in and going to his second season you got vera tucker who they traded out for so it looks better on paper but we need this to mesh and look where you talk about the kyle shanahan scheme as it's this you know, skeleton key to all quarterbacks and, and offenses and running backs. And it just makes everybody great. But look, Michael floor, isn't Kyle Shanahan, right. like he's not the same guy. So for us to kind of be like, Oh, well, it's just going to be Shanahan's offense in New York. It may be a more of a poor man's Shanahan's offense, which may or may not be nearly as good or as fantasy friendly for us. So Zach Wilson, again, you don't have to pay a lot for him, but I think that he's interesting as like a quarterback to a late guy, because look, you talked about it before the jets, they're the cheapest stack you can get across the board. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm still waiting for Zach Taylor's Bengals offense to, you know, resemble this Sean McVay archetype <laughs> that we were told about over the years. Yeah, look, if Wilson's given time, I, I think it'll be better. But I'm, I'm with you, man. I am concerned if he's even going to have that. And those pressure rates, like, look, pressure can be more indicative of the QB holding the ball than the offensive line. Last year, we did see Darnold and Flacco each post top 12 uh, slowest average time to throws. With that said, people, some of the cool tools we have behind the scenes at PFF helps us account for these things. So I went ahead and I looked at who is getting pressured the most even when they get the ball out in under two and a half seconds. We had the 49ers, the Vikings, and the Titans at 20.3%. Kind of makes sense, you know, just the way they kind of uh, lean on play action, obviously not really having all that mobile quarterback. So with all due respect to Ryan Tannehill, but big jump up to our two worst teams, the Jets at 24.1% and Jason Garrett train picture Giants 27.4% in the lead. So that's the problem. Like, yeah, Darnold and Flacco weren't necessarily helping the offensive line by holding on to the ball but even when they were getting out things were uh just evaporating awfully quickly so you know we want Zach Wilson to be good I want every quarterback to be good because football is so much more fun when we have good quarterbacks on both sidelines might be you know a tough uh, job though if he's not able to stay off his back in 2021 Andrew what about the Miami Dolphins and why is it rising second year quarterback Tui Tua Tagoviola it's all resting on the shoulders of of Tua they surround him with weapons that have speed. The thing that they didn't have last year, they had Parker and Preston Williams and a bunch of other slow guys. And the only guys that were fast couldn't catch the ball. Jakeem Grant, come on, man, catch the ball. Jalen Waddle brings the speed and yak ability element that they just didn't have in this offense. The same thing you could say with Will Fuller. Again, PFF zone, Jared Evans pointed this out when Will Fuller first signed with the Dolphins. Deshaun Watson averaged almost three fantasy points per game more with Fuller on the field. Yeah. Just having Will Fuller on the field, whether he's a distraction, whether he's catching the ball, whether he has half a hamstring, it doesn't matter. He's going to increase the efficiency of his quarterback, kind of like Deshaun Jackson has done throughout his career because of his ability to win the ball deep. So I love the fit there with with Will Fuller improving to his outlook and Waddle again, deadly after the catch average more yards per reception after the catch. No other power five receiver did since 2014. Last year, Miami's wide receivers and tight ends ranked 30th in yards after the catch per reception. And as a fun fact, Ian, how many missed tackles do you think that Mike Gusecki has forced in his career? Oh, man, I'm going more than Zach Ertz over the past few years. But overall, I'll say like six. (laughs) One under, it's five. Five missed tackles forced from Mike (laughs) Gusecki. I don't know. The guy's super athletic, but... For some reason, he just doesn't break a lot of tackles. I know his A dot is a little bit longer, so he doesn't have as many opportunities to really break tackles. But come on, Gasecki, you, you got to break more tackles than Bro, that. Bro, he's 
Like, we're done with Mike Jacecki in fantasy. I'm sorry, people. I liked him. I've liked him over the years, but he was their slot receiver. They just drafted their new slot receiver sixth overall. Like, it's, you know, they're not going to play him full-time in line. I think he'll be the most productive Dolphins tight end, but in fantasy, man, I'm not touching this dude. He's still going as a tight end one, I think, because of the past, not because of the future. And, but yeah, it is, uh, you know, Tua's the answer to our question about how this offense could go south. He wasn't as bad last year as people thought. It was a weird situation for him to come in post hip injury weird covid training camp and then just being on a competitive team man where he wasn't really asked to do much more than try to manage the game and when he was trying to manage the game like my goodness the wide receivers he was throwing to here are the guys that got targets when Tua was under center last year at wide receiver Devontae parker lynn bowden jakeem grant mac collins isaiah ford malcolm perry preston williams for like a game and then even antonio callaway got out there for a few snaps so just brutal man and truly adding two guys with just terrifying speed like Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle, even if they aren't the best versions of themselves, like we're going to see this offense take a step forward. I have my doubts that Tua gives us anything in terms of a fantasy QB, just because like he only he had a QB four performance in week 14, in that Chiefs game. Otherwise, he was never higher than QB 15. So even though he has rushing ability, like he's almost more like, uh, you know, homeless man Russell Wilson with it. Like he uses it to get around, doesn't take, it doesn't take off nearly as often as Russ. Like he had three games, I think, where he had 25 or more rushing yards but like his other six games combined I think he totaled like 20 so just not getting the floor even with the efficiency goes up we got a good defense uh yeah hopefully Tua gets the efficiency up but either way I'm just not super in tune to uh reaching on him in fantasy land what about the Buffalo Bills Andrew and I mean if you just look across this roster you do not see many holes so excited to see where you go here the only major issue they have is at the running back position and again it's really up to them if they just decide to use it or not and last year they just decided hey we're not going to use our running backs and they almost made it to the super bowl so you can't blame them for what they did but at the same time i'm still a believer in zach moss i think that he can still be the lead back in that backfield i think that we've seen enough from devin singletary to kind of know that he's really more of a complimentary back he's not going to lead a backfield and when you look at zach moss it was really the injuries that held him back and unfortunately that's kind of been his bugaboo throughout his entire football career in college he was banged up a lot obviously got banged up last season but if you look at the biggest thing with moss is okay we need to get goal line touches Josh Allen is there. He's the vulture. He's going to score eight rushing touchdowns the last three seasons, at least eight rushing touchdowns. So with Zach Moss, we have to look for those opportunities. And when you look at the games, he was healthy last season. He actually led the team in carries inside the five-yard line when he was healthy. He had eight. Allen had six. Singletary had two. So and without Moss, Allen only had three carries in all those other games that they played. So Moss was the guy when he had the chance. And I think right now, based on where you can draft him in best ball leagues, I think that he's a really good value. I, I think there's really a, an RB cliff that kind of falls after Zach Moss is off the board where you're just looking at guys that maybe will turn into something. But Moss, look, he has one guy that he has to beat, Devin Singletary, and he plays in one of the best offenses in the NFL. And if you just kind of zoom out, you want those guys running backs on good offenses that are going to score a lot of points. So yep. I think Zach Moss is kind of the guy that needs to step up. Prime zero RB candidate for sure. I just kind of wish they had a more secure number two weapon in the passing game. And I say that with all due respect to Cole Beasley, freaking warrior playing through like a literal broken leg at the end. It was a broken leg, right? Yes. Yeah, you know, actual Greg's, Greg Jennings real life shit from Cole Beasley. Like, all the respect to that guy, he is going to be 32. Emmanuel Sanders is 34. That was their replacement for Smokey Brown, who we also love, but let's face it, he couldn't really stay healthy consistently. And after that, man, Gabe Davis, he was okay last year, but you weren't seeing, like, just one. It was He was kind of like Michael Pittman to me. Like, he saw some good flashes, but a whole lot of his production just seemed to be like nobody was paying attention to him, and he got uh, given the ball, you know, with a fantasy-friendly end zone target or something like that so i'm not out on davis i just didn't see enough to say like okay he can beat his passing games number two or something same thing with dawson knox the guy flashes on a weekly basis maybe it's a big catch maybe it's a great block still we see him you know at the top of the leaderboard and drops and you know just expecting him to take the sleep forward you know stefan Diggs cannot do everything as we've seen over time you know you really need uh pff's own eric eager has done great uh, research on this like you need to have more than one great receiver in today's nfl you can't kind of 
kind of build it the same way, I think, as you could in the past. So, you know, we're this is a small issue. Again, I said before, it was very hard to even find a problem with the entire Bills roster. But to me, if Beasley and Manny Sanders start playing their age, I think we could see this passing game have a bit rougher time than, you know, just the general laser show we were seeing week in and week out in 2020. But hey, maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you think Cole Beasley and Manny Sanders are going to go the hell off in the perpetuity. In the perpetuity. So if you believe that and if you like fantasy football and if you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Great transition by me there. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. So go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge Annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now Underdog Fantasy. Usually Andrew, myself, or... Uh, you know, Jared, we got uh, Kevin Cole also. We'll, we have a stream usually going once a week. And also, you can catch myself and Rotor World's John Daigle every Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, on uh, over out there, Twitch, doing a stream as well. Getting our drafts in. Always a good time. Bring your brews, bring your edibles, bring whatever you want. And we will talk to you then. Moving on, though, Andrew, we got AFC West here, Kansas City Chiefs. You know, we, Bills and the Chiefs, you know, we're going to the two offenses where you really can't find a problem. But what would it be if you had to see this Chiefs offense somehow not finishing as, let's say, a top 10 scoring unit? All right, flipping it back to you, Ian, keeping this podcast interactive. Who am I talking about? Which player is this? Highest passer rating generated since 2019. Russell Gage. targets. Oh. No, it's not Russell Gage. I thought you meant passing. I thought you meant passing. He's so I know, I, as a receiver, as a receiver. <laughs> So highest pass rating generated since 2019. Okay, it's Miko Hartman. I know that step. I Correct. Heard. Yep. <laughs> Second highest yards after the catch per reception since 2019 is also Miko Hartman. So look, the thing is, they got to get someone to step up. Like you mentioned before, they need a guy behind Travis Kelsey. They need a guy behind Terry Kill. And I think that McCole Hartman can be that person. And for the first two seasons, I wasn't really on to McCole Hartman that much. I kind of felt that He's like the Tyreek Hill backup. Like if Tyreek Hill gets hurt, like he'll step up. And I've played McCole Hardman so many times in DFS when Sammy Watkins was out just to be disappointed. And I started to get frustrated with what he's actually going to become. But when you look at his transition in the NFL, you know, this was a player that played defensive back at Georgia. Like he hasn't been a receiver for that long. So for us to be really disappointed with him after two years of him playing okay, like he hasn't been this... I mean, I just listed off the stats. Like, how can you say he's been this terrible player that hasn't been, he's been super efficient with the opportunities he's gotten. And what's interesting enough, again, the new stat on PFF threat rate, McCole Hartman's threat rate or target rate on routes run increased by 6% from his rookie season up to 19%, which was the fourth highest increase behind only Robbie Anderson, Calvin Ridley, and Brandon Cooks in 2020. So that's a great indicator that, look, he is getting involved more when he's on the field. Mahomes is looking for him more often as he's running these routes. Again, a lot of stuff happened last year. He had COVID. He lost time in the, in the lineup because of that. So, look, I've never been a McCall Hardman truther or really believer, but I think I am now in, into year three. Yeah, me Cole and my guy Chris Herndon. I might have just been a year too early. Just got to keep the bandwagon moving. We hit yes. some rough patches, blew out some tires, but we got some gas back in the thing and moving on forward into 2021. I'm with you, man. You know, he's just, I think it's like AJ Brown and me Cole, like top two yards per target yep. with Justin Jefferson, I think, up there as well over the past two seasons. And I get it. Me Cole, his just manner in which they get him the ball. Obviously, defenses can only pay so much attention to him with Kelsey and Tyreek. I would never compare Miko as a real life wide receiver asset to AJB or Justin Jefferson but we don't really care how he gets the yards in fantasy land and if they can finally just sign him up for you know a couple rush attempts or pop passes however you want to do it per game man it could be really useful we saw it in that Bills you know AFC championship must have punt you know goes back to the bench and throws the coat over him and disgust what did they do they came back they gave him a rush attempt he rips off a 50 yard run ends up scoring on a short screen you know we see him be explosive in the kick and part return game. Again, he just turned 23 in March. As you said, he was playing quarterback until like his sophomore year in college. So it makes sense that we haven't seen him, you know, be the most polished player to this point. But those players, who was it? It was Mecole, Devin White, and a couple other guys like ran 40s at isolated locations. And Mecole clocked a 4-2-2. Man, it's absolutely absurd. Sammy Watkins is gone. Yeah, it's not ideal. Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle are back, I guess. But, you know, I'd probably take that over 
them like actually putting real resources in someone else that we hadn't seen in this system. So Meikle, more opportunity, and he's cheaper than ever. So good stuff there, Andrew. I guess uh, you know we didn't talk about why the Chiefs could bust. We just kind of went off on Miko Hartman. It'd be the offensive line, but as we saw in the Super Bowl. But even then, people just realize, you know, as bad as you might remember that Super Bowl being, Tyreek Hill let that pass bounce off his helmet. Byron Pringle let the absurd sideways Mahomes throw go right through his hands in the end zone. Like, even in the worst game you've ever seen the Chiefs offense look, they were two drops away from being one drive away. So, you know, a lot, lot of one drive away. Hindsight this, hindsight that. I get it. But they have done a good job, I think, adding to the offensive line. Fully expect this team to continue to be the scariest offense in the league. Andrew, what about the Los Angeles Chargers? You know, once again, here we are in May looking at them on paper seeing a lot we like but as we've seen the chargers over the year they are going to charge her so how could you see this offense going south la was tough to figure out where i wanted to point out a weakness again the offensive line was their biggest weakness at the end of the last season but they made a lot of changes to improve adding center Corey lindsley guard matt filer and then obviously first round rookie tackle rashawn slater so massive upgrades across the board you want to draft austin eckler this year for sure but the other thing that really kind of was annoying was the fact that they changed their offensive coordinators, despite the fact that we had a really good season from Justin Herbert as a rookie. And look, the, the track record of rookie quarterback or rookie quarterbacks entering year two with a new OC isn't isn't yeah. great. Like, there's a, historically speaking, just like listening off the most recent guys so like Daniel Jones, Haskins, Mayfield uh, and Darnold. Like those all those quarterbacks all had new offensive coordinators. Again, Mayfield technically it was like a weird Haley, Freddie Kitchens thing to Todd Munkin thing going on. But anyway, I digress. It was really only Mitchell yeah. Trubisky that was someone that actually kind of overcame or was better as in his second year with a new offensive coordinator because Matt Nagy kind of stepped in after John Fox. But you know, Kyler Murray kept the same OC, Lamar Jackson kept the the same OC, and so did Josh Allen. So again. It's not ideal, but you would assume that you could also look at those quarterbacks and say, well, none of them are as good as Justin Herbert. So I totally get that. Again, it's we're, we're kind of looking at the entire thing here. But he, he was good with Shane Steichen. And it's concerning that they're bringing in a new offensive coordinator, uh, Joe Lombardi. And right now, I mean, he's going to try to develop two Herbert's strengths. And something specifically that he mentioned that I thought was kind of interesting he wanted to, uh, this was in terms of matching Brandon Staley's desire to run a more up-tempo style of offense and doing more things like he did at Oregon, which that was like the thing we didn't want because the Oregon offense is what made Justin Herbert not look nearly as good. So that's like one thing that's kind of like stands out to me as like, okay. And if you look at Herbert actually from the no huddle last year, he ranked 27th in PFF passing grade. So that really wasn't his strength was running in an up-tempo offense. So that's my one concern. Again, the regression from the pressure versus non-pressure should be resolved because of the offensive line being better. So I'm not too concerned about that anymore. But I would just say, you know, the new offensive system, the new offensive coordinator in year two, we want to have continuity with our quarterbacks. And unfortunately, Herbert doesn't have that. Yeah, man, it's... <sighs> We also got to look at these, you know, first and second half splits from last year. They're not great. And shout out to uh, Aaron Schatz, creator of DVOA over there at Football Outsiders for kind of pointing this out on Twitter. I uh, saw on the old timeline about a week ago. But yeah, man, you know, just looking at their DVOA stat, weeks two through nine, he had a 22.2% passing DVOA. Weeks 10 through 17, all the way down to 0.6%. And really the only times we saw him look good, again, playing a little bit here, hindsight schedule doctor. So excuse me, but it was the Jets, you know, the Chiefs backups in week 17, the Raiders and like I mean how even the Falcons kind of got a bad game out of them so man we saw a floor for Justin Herbert in the second half of the year that we did not see in the first half I mean there was this ridiculous stretch where he had I believe in his first like eight starts either 300 passing yards and or like four total touchdowns uh, or three of them or something so he was going off weekend and week out we did see that regress a little bit and I don't even think it's necessarily on him I think it was like he was playing so ungodly good in a not great situation with all the pressure that was coming at him that he was bound to fall back to earth a little bit so pff's highest grade qb under pressure last year was justin herbert that's great we know he can you know make things happen outside of the structure of the play you know he's not a jimmy g or jared goff where the play is just dead if it doesn't you know fall out the way the offensive coordinator imagined in their head but this was the sixth ranked offensive line in the pressure rate under two and a half seconds stat i mentioned earlier so like you said they've added enough pieces that i am confident in projecting herbert to be just fine uh moving forward you know 
Keenan, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Tyron Johnson, Guyton, Josh Palmer. There's places to throw the ball to everywhere, but let's just give him a little more time. Let's not make him have to have this ridiculous, uh, you know, rate under pressure because as we see over the years, uh, one of the more stable quarterback metrics is their performance when kept clean. Under pressure, we see things get a little bit out of source sometimes. So protect Justin Herbert, please, LA. And I Where think you, you guys are just fine. Where do you oh, have Herbert ranked? Let me check. He's top eight for me, I think. What do you have him? Seven. Right, let's I see. One, moved two, him three, up four, front five. of. I recently moved him in front of Russell Wilson. I have Russ just ahead of him. I have Herbert one spot ahead of Rodgers, one spot ahead of Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is the one I'm just dropping a little bit. It's like he might be an awful passer. He kind of was throughout <laughs> last year. Moving on, though, I'm not going to like this one, but Andrew, why could the Denver Broncos not do well on offense next year? And be Starts nice. with be them nice. not trading for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the worst thing that they don't do would, would stop them. It's the quarterbacks. Yeah. It's Drew Locke. It's Teddy Bridgewater. We looked at this offense. This team is just loaded up and down the board. You have skill players off the charts that other quarterbacks would be dying to have. Aaron Rodgers would love to be throwing passes to some of these guys here as a Obviously, no offense to Devontae Adams. He's amazing. But if you look at just the entire rosters, I mean, I'm going to say the Broncos probably have just as good skill position players as as the Green Bay Packers do. So yeah. I would say I, I so with with Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, for me, I think I'd rather have Teddy Bridgewater be under center. I think that it makes more sense from the receiver standpoint because he's just more accurate. Like he finished third in just a completion percentage last season. He's not going to necessarily play a YOLO ball where we think that we're going to have these great fantasy friendly environments with Teddy Bridgewater in our center. It's not going to happen. But look, the guy supported the three top 30 fantasy wide receivers last season. Again, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel were all really good receivers. Not great, but good. But we just need someone to get the ball into Jerry Judy's hands at this point. Like, like that's what we're begging to happen. We can't watch him destroy a DB's ankles anymore without him catching any type of passes and getting any type of yeah. statistics for it. So I think Teddy Bridgewater makes more sense to put in there. He scored. He actually scored more 19 plus fantasy points in games than locked it in 2019. And if you want to play the touchdown regression character here, look. Only two quarterbacks last season threw for at least 3,700 yards and threw less than 24 touchdowns. Bridgewater only threw 15 touchdowns in 15 games. Yeah, it's not <laughs> because, good. Don't, don't you dare make that out to be a positive. Okay, but I'm just saying like that doesn't – it was because of the red zone. It, yeah. they were, they're so inefficient in the red zone, and I would, t I would bet on that regressing positively, especially when you have guys like Jerry Judy, guys like Cortland Sutton, big red zone guys, which when you look at the Panthers wide receivers, they don't really have that. Yeah, man. It, Teddy actually was better last year because he finally showed off a rushing floor. I mean, with the Saints, he played 14 games with the Saints and he had 39 carries for 36 yards. With the Panthers last year, he at least had 279 yards, five touchdowns. He had one even, I think it was like a 15-yard touchdown run where he was making dudes miss. He looked far more like the guy coming out of college athletically last year than he did with the Saints. So, hey, maybe he builds on that and he does perform better than Drew Locke because Teddy was certainly better than Drew Locke last year. But I will go to my great saying that Drew Locke has a higher ceiling than Teddy and, you know, a bunch of other quarterbacks that people want to just slander uh, or not slander and just put that towards Drew Locke. So I would just point out that I agree with you. This Broncos receiving core is great. It's They were my number one spot for Justin Fields to potentially land, uh, you know, before all the whole Rodgers hoopla came on. But I would just mention that last year, Drew Locke, he got 31 snaps from Cortland Sutton. Noah Fan was playing hurt all year. Locke himself got hurt and was dealing with COVID. Jerry Judy, as great as he was route running he was also one of three receivers to uh, drop at least 10 passes kj hamler was a little bit banged up let's see what it looks like when he, we get him this offense that we know has such a high ceiling because last year my favorite stats throw out there only quarterbacks with a better big time throw rate than drew lock aaron Rodgers, russell wilson deshaun watson patrick mahomes tom brady and Derek carr now the only guys with the worst turnover worthy play rate jake luton mitch trubisky nick mullins brandon allen mike glennon joe flacco jalen hurts so pick your poison Obviously, you know, being the Drew Locke stand that I have become, I'm going to, you know, hope he winds up a little bit more with the uh, former group as opposed to the latter. We shall see. But man, if Drew Locke can even be like 80% as good as I want him to be, dude, this offense could be a lot of fun to watch in 2021 and beyond. What about the Las Vegas Raiders, Andrew, who we gave a lot of credit on this podcast throughout last season. I'm not feeling like we're going to be doing that same thing here in 2021, though. 
there's a lot of different options you could go with here that's going to stop this offense. Probably starts at the top with John Gruden. <laughs> I mean, it's really not Derek Carr. I mean, Derek Carr has been the one that's actually been playing well. It's really been the like supporting an, he, cast. I feel like Gruden's been a little underrated play call. I mean, he might do some silly roster construction, though. Yeah, that's really what more I'm fair, referring to is fair. the roster construction because you got the revamped offensive line. You now have Kenyon Drake added into the fold, who's going to play some type of joker role, which Lynn Bowden basically, I guess, couldn't figure out and got himself traded to Miami last year. So that's kind of making this backfield much harder to trust with Jacobs and Drake. And the, yeah, there's a lot of different pieces. There's really not that many Raiders players I really want a part of besides Darren Waller. Like we know that he's going to see an insane amount of target share. I think that you recently moved him up to number two. I know we talked about that on a podcast. You I think I also, I also moved him up to number two because the dude is locked in to I mean, his target share was second, like third best last year behind Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins, and he plays tight end. And they just swapped John Brown for Nelson, or they just swapped in John Brown for Nelson Aguilar. So I don't see how Darren Waller isn't just the focal point of this offense once again. They're going to be trailing in a ton of games. They have a brutal schedule, especially to start the year. Like Jacobs, Jacobs was so touchdown dependent. The thing that's the worst thing about the Drake and Jacobs thing is they both scored double digit touchdowns last year. And. I can't, they, they may not combine for double digit touchdowns this year. So it, it's definitely tough sledding for the Raiders offense right now. And I, I feel like Carr might have a down, more of a down year because I think he's going to have to, he's going to be asked to do more and he's going to press. And I don't think the results are going to be pretty. Yeah. I think that last point is the best one there because I think the O-line, like when they were just cutting everybody in March, we were like, what's going on? They did get incognito out of retirement, you know, drafting uh, Leatherwood, whether you think it was a reach or not. I mean, okay, it's still, even if at worst, you know, a top uh, two round guy. So I think the O-line will be not, you know, hellaciously bad or anything, but I think they might need the O-line to be elite for Derek Carr to be as good as he was over the past two years. I mean, from 2015 to 2020, the Raiders were a top five team and just dollars spent on the offensive line. Right now, they're slotting in as the 20th ranked team uh, in total money devoted to the O-line in 2021. Again, not maybe as bad as some of us, including myself, made it out to be in early March, but certainly not going to be the you know big green plus advantage that's been over the past few years. I think the bigger issue could just be you know no one other than Darren Waller really giving this offense much rugs edwards you know smoky renfro they're not awful but my goodness man like every team in the league has at least like one usually two good receivers like it's just 2021 now we don't have teams that just have nobody to throw the ball to i think the raiders objectively outside of waller just looking at the wide receiver room are a bottom three wide receiver room in the league i say that before going every single going through every single roster so if they're actually bottom five bottom eight give me a break there people but yeah darren waller you know give him his 140 plus targets again Give me tight end two status in fantasy football. George Kittle, certainly the better real life player. Aliens evade tomorrow. We want Kittle lining up at tight end to try to, you know, save humanity. But Darren Waller, I think, has all the gifts, all the tools, and most importantly, all the targets to be a diamond in what should be a pretty rough overall Raiders offense. Andrew, we are moving on to the AFC North, though. What's going on with the Cleveland Browns, who return everybody? They have, you know, loaded offense defense is looking great after you know they really just did a good job i think throughout free agency and the draft to get into it i may or may not and by that i mean i did put 25 bucks in their super Bowl odds yesterday andrew it all leans on baker mayfield though it does it leans on baker mayfield and i think to an extent that also means it leans on odell beckham because we haven't careful, seen careful careful we haven't seen OBJ in his prime status in seemingly a while, but I, I think that he could bounce back. Like I, I'm definitely on the OBJ, OBJ train that no, he's the team is not better without him. It just, you know, Baker Mayfield just happened to get also better and he wasn't on the field at the same time. Like that can happen. You know, he was getting more comfortable in the offense. And you also look at the schedule that the Browns played to start the year. Brutal. Brutal schedule to open the season against a lot of the top defenses. They open against Baltimore, Washington, Colts, Pittsburgh. Four other five, six weeks last season, each grayed out as a top 12 defense by PFF. That's how quarterbacks work these days. When you play good defenses, your, your fantasy points go down. When you play crap defenses like the Texans, your, your, your numbers go off. And, and that's what happened. They had a much easier schedule down the stretch when OBJ wasn't in the lineup. But you look at his numbers when he was playing. You know He led the team in deep targets, end zone targets, ranked sixth in the league in area yards before he went down in week seven. Beckham saw more deep targets than Jarvis Landry saw during the entire season. <laughs> 
and he finished fifth in, in target rate on deep routes run. So look, do you want Rashard Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, or Anthony Schwartz running these post routes? Or do you want OBJ running the post routes? Like, come on. Like, we want OBJ back. We want him healthy because he can take this Browns offense to the next level. I bet they would have liked to have him when they played the Chiefs. And I bet people wouldn't be saying, oh, well, the Browns are better without OBJ. It's like, no, they probably would have had a much better chance of winning that game if OBJ was playing. When Mayfield had Beckham on the field, he targeted his first read on 58% of his dropbacks and moved up to 63% without. I get that we don't want Baker just saying, I need to get Beckham his 12 targets per game, no matter how many guys are on him. That's not good for the offense. What we need is the version of Baker we saw in the second half of last year, or even you know the second half of 2018 when he was a rookie. We need that guy with a coverage shifter like OBJ to make everything easier. In terms of just his per route and per target, mostly per target efficiency Beckham hasn't been all that different than the guy that we saw in his last three years with the Giants he's only averaged 0.5 fewer yards per target in 2019-2020 compared to 2016 to 2018 the reason why he hasn't been balling out in fantasy is volume that's why we always talk about this people with the Giants he averaged over 10 targets per game in every single season in 2019 he was at 8.3 in 2020 he was at 6.1 all right take away the two snap game he got hurt it still only goes up to seven targets per game so it's just tough to make do on that i'm buying this offense becoming more pass heavy in the second year baker mayfield freaking doesn't have to learn a whole new playbook this offseason like i think that's gonna uh, be great and yeah just this idea that the, like people are taking baker having better splits without odell as like this offense being bad when obj was out there they got overwhelmed by baltimore and pittsburgh in the first six weeks other than that man they scored 49 35 34 and 32 points they had as many 30 point games in those six games with beckham as they had the rest of the season including in the playoffs so it, it just you know I, I think people have this weird vendetta against obj man i don't get it like for someone that like what's the worst thing obj has done throughout his career the josh norman game okay that was you know pretty freaking crazy but going on the boat you know proposing the kicking that just a bunch of knucklehead shit that actually didn't hurt anyone like there are far worse people in this league for you for people to get mad at than obj and it certainly does annoy me like where does it end with the wide receiver one being out and we're critiquing the qb like russell wilson averaged more yards per attempt in 2018 than he did in 2019 and 2020 is DK Metcalf the problem? Of course not, but that's like the argument we're trying to make here with OBJ. Uh, Drew Locke was better in 2020 than 2019. Is that because Colin Sutton wasn't on the field? Kirk Cousins averaged more yards per attempt without digs. Like, it's so insane when we put it in any other situation, but people actually want to run away with this for OBJ and Baker. Don't do it. Our guy PFF Sam Monson said earlier in this offseason that Beckham is his breakout candidate with the Browns. I am still a believer, as you should be too. He's not cheaper. We know he's be the wide receiver one by obj everybody andrew what do you think about the cincinnati Bengals though and can this o-line hold up joe burrow top 10 fantasy quarterback that's what i love that's what i want to happen that's what i want to have happen because this offense is going to take flight laser show it's going to happen just the offensive line that's the one thing we need just, just gotta like be average you know top 20 even like i'll be fine with that just like get joe burrow some protection Look, they added Riley Reed from free agency and they drafted guard Jackson Carmen. Okay, I mean, Jackson Carmen with pick 46. Look, he's not a barn burner. He's not one of these elite guys. They, they could have manipulated the draft differently. But I think at the same time, look, he's going to solidify the interior. He could be a tackle option down the road. But again, they didn't need a tackle option because they draft, they were able to sign Riley Reef. So again, we don't need the super elite offensive line necessarily to help Burrow because the, the volume is going to be there. Like the passing volume is going to be there and... I know that the social media team tweeted out the graphic of me saying fan, top 10 fantasy quarterback. And the first thing I see, of course, is, oh, until he gets hurt week two, until he gets injured in week five. Always. It's like, guys, come on. Like, just because he got hurt last year doesn't mean he's going to get hurt this year. It's not how it works. Yeah. It's not how this works. So chase the passing volume again. Joe Burrow was third in expected fantasy points per game last season behind only Dak Prescott and Josh Allen because they were throwing the ball all over the freaking place. And now yeah. you're adding Jamar Chase in replace of AJ Green, arguably the worst receiver last year. Like, come on. 
Yeah, I got Joe Burrow as my QB10 as well. My, my tier three, which I defined as a mix of upside with a demonstrated floor alongside Brady, Tannehill, Stafford, Matt Ryan, Baker Mayfield. Yeah, it's, it's on the O-line, but look, he was able to not quite post top 10 numbers when he was playing last year, but he was a more usable quarterback. You know, they got smacked around a couple matchups, eight sacks against Philly, seven versus Baltimore. I mean, rough goes against Pittsburgh and Washington, but everywhere else, like man, All the good defense, like all exactly. the good defenses. They just caught some like beastly defensive lines in the first <laughs> 10 weeks unfortunately so we kind of knew like when to fade him with it because we could just see what was coming i think this is a reasonable chance to expect some positive regression from the group like these young guys are gonna get better as they continue to play they used around the even though they didn't you know people wanted them to not draft chase and add to the o-line and you know we'll see how that uh pick works out i was team uh go with the potential generational quote-unquote wide receiver one but either way they used their round two pick on jackson carmen they got jonah williams in round one 2019 billy price round one one in 2018 like they have put resources towards it i know we haven't seen the immediate returns but i'm somewhat confident that we see them at least start to approach mediocrity here in 2021 andrew what about the pittsburgh steelers and does it happen to be their you know how old is he now 45 probably like 38 year old quarterback in reality it's big ben and it's the offensive line that are the two main issues with the pittsburgh steelers but I guess the offensive line is starting to gain some steam. It seems like people are starting to finally <laughs> people are starting to finally kind of realize that look, like the offensive line for especially for the running back position, like specifically speaking in terms of Najee Harris, it really doesn't matter that much. And and honestly, I'll point out, look, this offensive line is probably gonna be better anyway because they added resources to it. Again, they added third round center Kendrick Green from Illinois. Look, Marquise Pouncey was terrible last year. Like he's he retired and he was PFF's fifth lowest graded run blocker. So thank you for retiring because he wasn't good last year. So they drafted Kendrick Green, who was one of PFF's or was PFF's third highest graded interior run blocker last year on the FBS. Pat Fryermuth, look, he's a tight end. I get it. He's not offensive lineman. But Vance McDonald, Eric Ebron, both ranked outside the top 40 in PFF run blocking last year. So those guys were not helping at all in terms of blocking. At least you, now you have a blocking tight end that can potentially also help open up some holes for Najee Harris. And let's not forget, Steelers are getting back tackle Zach Banner, who seemingly everyone has forgotten about at this point. He tore his ACL in week one. Banner was a top 10 graded run blocker in 2019. So offensive line is going to be better next year. Big Ben, look, his arm, is it washed potentially? But... Is it going to be so much more washed than it was last year? Again, you look at the most fantasy points scored by teams wide receivers in 2020. Number one, Buffalo Bills, led by MVP candidate Josh Allen. Number two, Pittsburgh Steelers, led by washed up Big Ben. A reminder that fantasy football and real football are at times a total opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, like, this was still a 12th-ranked scoring offense last year, man. I don't think Ben is completely washed. Like, I understand he just had his worst season in basically a decade, but this wasn't, you know, 2014 end of the season Peyton Manning where you're like, oh, wait, he actually can't throw a deep ball anymore. Like, this is going to be problematic. With Ben, it just seemed like more than anything, he just did not want to get hit. I mean, if, you know, if you've only been watching football over the past five years, you might not remember, like, young Ben, but this dude used to be able to move, and even when he didn't run, man, and it would take like three guys just hanging on him uh, to finally get him down. So, you know, he's a big dude and he just didn't seem as willing to, you know, A, try to extend the play and B, even put himself in a situation where he wouldn't see the rush coming. The Steelers last year on the entire season had 66 play action passes. 31st was the Jaguars and they had 123. They just literally refused to do play action pass. And, you know, I don't think they're going to come back next year and say, hey, we're just going to keep running whatever Ben wants to, man. You know, Know, the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results I think Tomlin you know the freaking stretch of the Steelers like never having a losing season is absolutely ridiculous well it continued in 2021 we'll see I think it's more in jeopardy than the past but I do think they deserve a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt when it comes to you know assuming rational coaching which is always a problem but I think here it could be okay yeah man the offensive line as bad as they were run blocking this wasn't a unit that we saw just fall apart uh, in the past the pressure rate third lowest in the league because Big Ben got the ball out so quick a lot of times but even again even putting under two and a half seconds only they ranked 13th so like you're saying you know getting some pieces back maybe removing 
some bad pieces. Uh, it's it's tough to say a bad offense line is going to get so much better without uh, you know making big resources to it. We did see the Rams do that though from 2019 to 2020. Here's to hoping again a perennially very you know capable organization uh, can get going. But yes, if Ben just hits a cliff, I don't think they exactly have the bodies in the rest of the QB big, room. Big to Ben's pick it up. ADP is right next to Sam Darnold's. Who are you drafting? Uh, I have them right next to each other. I think I would. Who do I have? I would go Darnold. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I just wrote an article. I'm taking, I'm taking Big oh Ben. I'm not drafting Sam Darnold. I refuse to. I wrote an article on Darnold. I'm doing my hundred questions in a hundred days, and I, you know, spent the majority of it trashing him. He's just not being good. He's not good by. Other quarterbacks, he's not good compared to Adam Gase quarterbacks. You look at past first-round quarterbacks going to new teams that, like, didn't get – like, all right, Ryan Tannehill, like, we use that as an example. He was at least good enough in Miami to stay there for six years. If you look at the guys that, you know, couldn't even earn a second contract with their first team, like, it's awful. Like, I think Sam Darnold's best case is being, like, a middle-class man's, like, Sam Bradford. I think that's his ceiling at this point. But it pained me after I got through this article to look at it, and I think I've done Darnold was like my QB 21 or 22, maybe 23. And like I was higher on him than the rest of the industry. So I don't know, man. It's we're debating over who we want our QB three to be in a week lineup. So enough of that. Moving on, Baltimore Ravens. Andrew, how could you see this offense going south? And I would point out, while they were not the same juggernaut in 2020 as they were in 2019, we're still looking at the seventh ranked scoring offense here. Greg Roman, if he's not evolving the offense or just the passing concepts he adds are not effective, they got to start to throw the ball to the perimeter more often and more effectively. Again, they didn't do that at all last season. If you look at in terms of if you look at PFF's QB annual, you scroll down to the Lamar Jackson section, you see his heat map. It's literally all in the middle of the field. It's all red in the middle of the field. When I looked at the numbers, he ranked fifth or he ranked inside the top five in terms of passing attempts inside the numbers. But who have they added to the offense? Rashad Bateman, Sammy Watkins, Tylon Wallace. Again, Watkins has played in the slot in Kansas City, but when Watkins played under Roman with the Buffalo Bills, uh, however long ago that was, he played on the outside. So I, I really think that you have now a clear-cut decision-making by this team that's saying, we just added three perimeter wide receivers because we want to throw the ball more to the outside because we need to evolve our offense more. We can't rely on just Mark Andrews over the middle of the field. And maybe this means Marquise Brown can operate more out of the slot. He's a smaller wide receiver, so I think that's probably better for him anyway. Willie Sneed is out. You have Devin Duvernay also probably working in the slot. But those guys aren't those guys shouldn't be the vocal point of your passing attack. Like yeah. you need legitimate receivers. And now that they've added some guys, I think we're going to see that from this offense. But again, if Greg Roman decides to kind of stay in his ways and not really not continue to adapt and evolve, then we're going to have issues. The good thing is, again, I think issues are still probably going to lead to a top 12 scoring offense. Like this is a higher floor, I think, that a lot of people give them credit for. Having a healthier Ronnie Stanley is going to go a long way, obviously. So even if Lamar continues to, you know, regress as a passer, it's not going to be in the world. But I don't think we need to assume that's going to happen. You know, adding Rashad Bateman and even Tylen Wallace gives them guys, and even Sammy Watkins, like they just have receivers that have proven or at least look like they have the ability to give them something they've been missing. So Lamar, as much as we want to, you know, just hate on the guy every time he sails a pass you know out of bounds like we don't put enough credit on his name for being at this point you know what top two rushing quarterback ever already like i know the stands out there want to keep going with mike vick and that's fine give him his due but at worst we're talking about the second best rushing quarterback ever and we just take that for granted these days so i would like to see them not only you know improve like all right you got baden got talon wallace you're talking about he needs to improve you know outside the numbers those are tough passes though and i'm not sure he's ever going to be great in that let's do a better job getting lamar some easy completions they barely ever throw their running backs you know he was 32nd among 44 qualified qbs in the amount of yards coming after the catch like lamar should not be an air yard first quarterback and i know that yak you know you can say a part of it is going to be the accuracy and stuff but like look matt ryan was dead last in that baker was second to last tom brady was fourth to last like it's just you can't just pin down lamar's lack of accuracy so let's get duvernay some more of those pop passes that we know he can do a lot with let's just try and make things somewhat easier 
easier on Lamar. He does not he does not need to be the only quarterback in the league to carry his entire offense. Here's to hoping that, again, those improvements at receiver and offensive line help him potentially overcome some of the troubles he had. Again, light troubles he had in 2020. I uh, encourage everyone, though, hey, if you think that, you know, Andrew and I are completely full of shit and this fantasy thing just isn't your cup of tea, we invite you to check out PFS Podcast Network, which covers everything NFL, college, and fantasy football. You can recap the NFL draft and look ahead to 2022 with Mike Renner and Austin Gales, two-for-one drafts podcast. And of course, you can get all the 2021 betting content you need with the PFF forecast. So again, PFS Podcast Network, always working, always striving to make you smarter and make you a little money along the way as a football fan. Andrew, we have reached the last division. AFC South, how could you see the Colts blowing up in a bad way in 2021? Two words, Carson Wentz. Look, people, Carson Wentz was good in 2017 because he was producing numbers at an unsustainable rate. On so, third was Tom, down. so was Todd Gurley. Like, that's the thing with Carson Wentz. And I honestly don't understand the, the buzz behind backing him. I get he can. Can he be better with Frank Reich? Of course he can. I think that he can be. But everything that I'm looking at, all the numbers are telling me that this is a guy that is not in a really good place right now. Like last season, passer rating, clean pocket. Carson Wentz, third to last. Dwayne Haskins was second to last. Sam Darnold, who we've already talked about, and we're not even talking about the NFC today, was dead last. So you look at all, so all of those three quarterbacks are now in different teams. You wonder why, right? Yeah. Because they weren't good in a clean pocket. And I actually looked and compared his 2020 to 2017. He faced the exact same pressure rate. 37% pressure rate faced in 2020. 36% pressure rate faced in 2017, you know, his MVP season. Except the difference, eight touchdowns, one pick in 2017, four touchdowns, five picks in 2020. So he, this isn't a player that's taking steps to get better. Like he's just gotten worse since his 2017 campaign. And to put the expectations that he's just going to all of a sudden come back out of where he was before because now he has his head coach i mean look at the weapons like how much better are the colts passing options than the eagles are really i mean hilton Pittman, campbell jack doyle i mean it's really not that much better than what the eagle i mean the eagles have two first round picks yeah. rager and Devontae smith and dallas goddard's better than any tight end that's on the colts right now and we know carson wentz relies heavily on that position so there's a lot of things that could go wrong with Wentz. And even if he does get better, okay, he's like a middling quarterback now. I would still take him over Sam Darnold because obviously we've seen him be a little bit more of an actual fantasy quarterback and he runs more. But I mean, look, Phillip Rivers in his offense last year averaged 16 fantasy points per game. Like that's not good. And if you look at the games he actually played without Anthony Costanzo, it was 12.5 fantasy points per game. You know, they added Eric Fisher, who was PFF's 31st ranked tackle last year. So like, uh, like the weapons really aren't even there for Wentz. So I'm not really sure what, why we're expecting him to just take this massive leap because he just has Frank Wright against this coach narrative thing. It's like, guys, like it matters to an extent, but at the end of the day, Wentz is under center, Wentz is on the field and Wentz has to make the throws and plays from a clean pocket, which he has shown not the ability to do. Yeah, Rivers gets like absolutely no credit for taking a team from seven to nine to eleven and five, and you know he lost the Bills on the road by three. I know it was really wasn't that close, and it has some comeback <laughs> garbage time thrown in there. But like, my goodness, man, like, I, I got massacred on a tweet for saying like Wentz is probably going to be a downgrade at quarterback for the Colts. I understand them taking this risk. You know, you have a guy. How many quarterbacks have played at an MVP level? Carson Wentz is actually in that group. But man, it's getting further and further away, man. We're, like, oh, remember, you know, Josh Gordon in 2013. Like, we're starting, you know, that's not that far away all of a sudden. So, but yeah, I, I, I had the uh, clean pocket stuff up too, you know, uh, great points all around. And this overall offense, man, I know the offensive line is great, but again, who cares if he can't do anything out of the clean pocket anyway? Because otherwise, it's just not looking that great. I don't know if Michael Pittman can be a number one. I don't know if Paris Campbell can stay healthy. Like, I don't hate this group, but again, it's similar like to the Raiders. Like, we can really talk ourselves into almost any wide receiver room in the league. That doesn't mean the Colts don't objectively have a below average wide receiver room. You know, they just didn't really add anybody of note to this offense. So I was, you know, already thinking they were lacking a big, uh, you know, just more proven wide receiver. Like, hey, if we want to talk Julio Jones trade spots, I think Indy uh, could certainly change uh, something yes. around there because he would obviously make every offense in the league better. But yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of question marks for Carson Wentz, and I'm not exactly looking to try to get find out what the 
answers are with my own money in fantasy football here in 2021. Andrew, let's keep this one quick. Is there any, like, let's just say this, any good, any good, can you name one good thing about the Texans 2021 offense? And we'll just assume for now with the situation still up in the air, we're going to assume Deshaun Watson does not play in the year 2021. Houston Texans offense, yes, because we have to flip the narrative because, again, it's just like the Detroit Lions in the last episode. It's pretty easy to see how this offense doesn't end up having success. Brandon Cooks is really cheap, again, because he's playing on an offense that's really unknown at quarterback. But look, people, we've seen wide receiver top-end fantasy producers come from bad offenses with bad quarterbacks. You look at just last year, you had... Allen Robinson, Terry McLaurin. You could argue the Rams receivers didn't have a good quarterback play last year. Again, it's probably those those guys probably all had still better back, still better quarterback play than what we're going to see with from Houston. But Brandon Cooks is the wide receiver 42 in ADP, and the guy has finished no worse than wide receiver 16 in five of his last six seasons. So it, it's just a value play. Look, is he going to win your league? Probably not. But is he going to have some decent weeks? Yeah. And, and actually, I looked at Davis Mills, some of his numbers, if he ends up taking over, which I think I'd prefer than Tyrod Taylor. Again, Tyrod's probably going to run a little bit more, so we're, we're going to see less passing attempts probably. But Davis Mills was Mr. Number one, he was a turnover machine. So again, we like that because pick six is all right. They got to go back in the field. They got to throw more. And number two, the guy would just lock on to first reads. So yeah. if Cooks is his guy... Like, it's just going to be Cook's 15 targets. He catches seven of them. Hopefully he gets like 60 yards, maybe scores. And no one else is going to be relevant. Gosh. I mean, it's not enough to have a bad offense, but like we got to be this crowded in the backfield. David Johnson, Mark Ingram, <laughs> Philip Lindsay. Oh, my goodness. Again, who knows who's going to be at quarterback. The wide receivers behind Cooks are almost laughable. I mean, the Titans and the Texans, if you just want to look aside from their wide receiver one, man, it gets brutal fast. I'll, I'll read some of these. We got Andre Roberts, Randall Cobb, my guy Nico Collins, nothing to hate on there, but Kiki Cootie, Isaiah Coulter, Chris Moore, Chris Conley, Andrews Doppelganger, Alex Erickson, Dante Moncrief, some, some things named Marlon Williams and Damon Hazleton, and of course, of course, Taiwan Taylor sitting at the back of the depth chart as well. So Brandon Cooks, if you cannot earn 120 plus targets in that man, then too bad. But yeah, this will probably be the first time we see Brandon Cooks not playing with an elite quarterback. I mean, he's got to work with Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, and mostly the good version of Jared Goff, save for portions of that 2019 season where he eventually left. So here's to you, Brandon Cooks. I mean, I know we always talk about his concussions, but it's scary that he could be, you know, one hit away from being in a rough spot, you know, professionally and just health wise. But he really hasn't missed that many games. It's kind of like the Joe Mixon thing where people think he gets hurt all the time, but it's even less of an issue for Cooks. He's played in at least 14 games in every single season since his rookie year in 2014 when he was only limited to 10. So Brandon Cooks might not like it. And I wouldn't blame anyone for not wanting to touch this offense with a 10 foot pole. Just realize targets are targets. Brandon Cook should have a lot of them. Andrew, what about the Jacksonville Jaguars who just worry me more and more by the day at this point? You just go on Twitter and the Jaguars players ADPs just collectively start to dip and fall because of the shenanigans that are happening over there with Urban Meyer kind of taking over. Look, if we just kind of do this in review, okay, it first started with him hiring Chris Doyle, who has a really bad track record of doing some racist things, and that has now transpired to him no longer being with, with the team. Um, you have the Kadarius Tony debacle where they wanted to get he, – he was heartbroken that they couldn't draft Kadarius Tony, but they have LaVisca Chenault, and we're just kind of like – uh, like that that monkey gif where you're basically like he, he's right there like why don't we just use chanel like he's he's like perfect for this role so instead they draft etn in the first round and to justify drafting a running back in round one they're like okay we're gonna play you at wide receiver which i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing but the the buzz around it is is the perception is pretty negative and then to top it all off you got tim tebow tight end one season coming in and look the tebow thing is because the narrative around it is just preposterous. Again, he's hasn't played in like 10 years. He's playing tight end. But the thing is, like with these tight ends that break out, like Darren Waller, like Logan Thomas, like this is the path that they follow. They just come out of literally nowhere to barren depth charts and just emerge as a tight end of one. So again, I don't want to be in on Tebow, but 
like part of me just like has this feeling in the back of my mind that it's like is this gonna be the next darren waller logan thomas is that gonna happen like i really hope it doesn't like, i really don't want that to happen and everything is telling me that shouldn't happen but i guess you can never say never no i'm saying never uh tebow is gonna be <laughs> 34 in august we also had marvin jones get signed he is on my ageist list not because i think he's awful at this point but i want to be out one year early as opposed to one year late I, even though jones still had a good year last year to me he looked like a lesser uh, just talent athletically i think he just really benefited from matthew stafford really having no one to throw the ball to with kenny with kenny galladay only playing four and a half games and we also had the carlos hyde trade who was 30 years old or not the trade excuse me just signing carlos hyde uh you know to this death chart and apparently actually having big plans to use him so yeah man i guess the biggest concern for me though is this not even that it's travis Etienne, the percy harvin role like okay i think he's you know a talented guy you can certainly get him touches you draft him the first round you should be throwing him the ball like this that's good news for me it's like is urban meyer gonna be running his offense this is not gonna be like daryl bavell's because that's problematic man i understand urban you know maybe doesn't deserve you know credit for inventing the spread but one of the first guys to do that i mean going back to his bowling green days like he helped actually kind of be one of the first guys to use the read option it happened as like an accident in practice and he was like hold on let's go back here you know through that through uh you know utah and alex smith going to florida going to ohio state so much of his offense was predicated on the qb run so maybe urban thinks he has the run game stuff down he's going to do some formation stuff and bavel does the passing game now that, that would work okay fine but if not if urban just wants to you know be this kind of just control maniac that let's face it he's kind of been every step of the way it could be rough man because that osu passing game like i know it's looked good in recent years with what ryan day has done but it was like a necessity to get him after 2016 when this team literally like could not throw the ball through the air against michigan and clumsy and you can say jt barrett sucked but you know to watch the way jt barrett regressed as a passer from 2014 to 2016 and then he actually looked better with ryan day there it's problematic man if urban is not i th- I assume when he was going to Jacksonville, he was going to be the CEO of the team, just try to instill, you know, more of a winning, we're badass culture. But the more and more it looks like Urban being involved with, uh, you know, not only personnel, but also schematic decisions. It's a situation, man, where, you know, I know we were singing praises to Visca Chanel, DJ Chark, all these guys, but more and more, man, I just, I'm, if it's a tie between two players and one of them plays for Jaguars, probably going the other direction. Andrew, we have reached our final AFC team, the Tennessee Titans. Where could it go wrong in 2021? No Arthur Smith, no Corey Davis, no Johnny Smith. There, there, there's the issues right there. Yeah. And I think it starts at the top with Arthur Smith being out there. We've seen Ryan Tannehill have this renaissance. Again, he was still pretty good in Miami. Adam Gase probably held him back, and Arthur Smith's really unlocked him these past two seasons. But look, this team has to regress at some point. Like, that's the biggest thing, because since Tannehill took over, basically they've been one of the most efficient offenses. You look at Tannehill over the past two seasons, first in yards per attempt, first in passer rating, fifth in PFF grading. And again, that's not to say he's bad. Like, he is a good quarterback. He's proven to us that he's a good quarterback. But now that we have kind of a reason why we could see his numbers decreasing, they've lost playmakers. And like you said, they've replaced them with pretty much nobody, you know, Josh Reynolds, uh, Des Fitzpatrick, who was a a fifth round pick. I mean, look, there's a reason why Tannehill has scored more fantasy points over expectations than any other quarterback the past two seasons. And, And those tend to regress. Like we see this happen with quarterbacks that just post above efficient seasons, you know, time and time again, eventually it's going to come back down and could, could I be wrong? And this is just Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, that's totally possible. But based on the fact that they haven't added a lot of weapons and that we're probably going to see an overall just decrease in offensive production anyway from the NFL after last season, where basically it was a boon because there were absolutely, there was no crowd noise. So offenses could basically do whatever the hell they wanted. There, there are concerns. And, and one thing I wanted to point out too, that again, this kind of goes back to irrational coaching. If you look at the new offensive coordinator, Todd, Todd Downing. So he's the new OC. He spent 2017 with the Raiders. Biggest thing that Ryan Tannehill has been able to take advantage of is play action. You know, he led the NFL in play action usage in, in 2020, 36.4%. Todd Down with the Raiders, Derek Carr's play action that year, 14%, ranked 38th in the league. So now look, Todd Downing should know, hey, we need to use play action. Like Ryan Tannehill is good with play action. Like do that. But at the same time, like coaches don't always do what makes sense. Like they just don't. And, and Todd Down might be like, all right, it's my time to shine. Like 
get rid of play action. I'm doing my thing. Like, sling it, Tannehill. I want your eyes downfield all the time. Like, that could happen. And that's just something to kind of keep in mind when you look at Ryan Tannehill that we may not get the same numbers we've been getting from him the last couple seasons. Yeah, behind AJB, we got Josh Reynolds, Nick Westbrook, Ikini, Chester Rogers, Cameron Batson, Mason Kinsey, who was a name <laughs> I never knew until today, Des Fitzpatrick, Cody Hollister, Fred Brown, Marcus Johnson, who I actually kind of like. I think I'm Marcus Johnson. I like Marcus Johnson. Yeah, I was about to say, why is he so far down the our lad's depth chart? It is what it is. But yeah, man, it's Fitzpatrick's someone that the more I, or not Fitzpatrick, excuse me, Tannehill's someone I look at more and more. I'm like, damn, should I really be, you know, ranking him inside the top 12? Might want to be slightly him a little bit he does run i do still have my doubts this defense takes a big step forward so hoping that you know he just has enough kind of fantasy friendly volume to overcome this projected kind of loss in efficiency i would just say i think you're spot on but i would just say this people don't like fall into the trap that oh only aj brown's out there like they're not gonna freaking you know defense is gonna be able to put so much attention around him that we shouldn't draft him in fantasy we still have defenses in the year 2020 that refuse to do anything other than just throw a linebacker out there when a wide receiver one goes into the slot. So I understand, you know, the more I've talked to smarter people than myself about football, you know, when you do see that linebacker in the slot, then it's often zone instead of man. And, you know, I don't want to you know, try to disgrace actual NFL defensive coordinators too much. Either way, we just want the freaking volume. And look, if you look at receivers with 150 plus targets over the past 10 years, I mean, 91% of them finished as a top 12 PPR wide receiver. The only three that did not finish as a top 20 four product were 2012 Larry Fitzgerald 2016 DeAndre Hopkins and 2016 Allen Robinson catching passes from John Skelton Kevin Cobb Ryan Lindley Brian Hoyer Brock Osweiler Tom Savage and Blake Bortles even if Tannehill regresses he is not going to be in that group of quarterback it is still very much AJB wide receiver one season maybe even the wide receiver one season Andrew, that's going to do. We have concluded our wrap-up of how things could go wrong with the NFC and AFC offenses. What do you got on the pipeline over at PFF.com this week? It's best ball season over at PFF.com. We're releasing the best ball draft kit. So myself, Jared, Ian, all the PFF fantasy analysts are all kind of putting our minds together, creating this best ball toolkit where you can go play on underdog, you can play on other platforms, but basically kind of your one-stop shop for everything best ball. Because look, best ball hasn't been around forever as long as regular fantasy has, but it's really fun. Like it's the most fun I've had in a while. It really gets you reps in so that by the time your legitimate draft comes up, you are locked and loaded and you are going to have an edge just by knowing the board and how kind of players fall. So Go check it out and let us know how you like it. All sorts of tiered rankings. We got optimal stacking strategy, what you should be doing depending on where you're selecting. As Andrew said, one-stop shop, everything best ball. Also encourage you all to check out my 100-question series. I'm doing the corresponding fancy files, many podcasts on here. Look, I mean, we have still about three, three, more than three months until we're playing regular season football. My goal with all these is to make them as evergreen as possible. We have the roster set. No reason we can't get ahead of that. So I encourage you, if you like one, read the rest, like one, listen to the rest and do your thing. He's Andrew Erickson. I'm Ian Hartz. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. 